I'm excited today. I've been looking forward to today and uh, for uh, the opportunity to close out our series on Money Talks. For um, the last several weeks here at our church, we've been uh, uh, in a sermon series called Money Talks, and I am uh, super grateful for a lot of wonderful people that have uh, helped me put this series together. I want to especially thank uh, Victor Hill for uh, the great design uh, that has been on our bulletin covers for his work and for his gift and for sharing that with us. Uh, and also all my team are here uh, on the church campus as um, uh, we uh, heard in our, in our morning's prayer. Um, there's so many wonderful people that come together every given weekend, every given Sabbath, and, uh, and give other times and other talents to, to, to bless us as a community. And I'm super grateful for that. And I don't know about you, but after last week's uh, conversation here at the church, uh, I went home and over the weekend had some very interesting talks with my wife and our friends about money. How about you? Uh, did you have any conversations that were born out of our discussion last week? We especially had a lot of fun Saturday night and Sunday afternoon talking about the differences, how money affects people in, uh, like in our marriage, how money uh, affects people based on their gender or their particular uh, money personality. And I don't know about you, but um, there's a, there was some truth-telling going on in my house. I don't know about you guys. Uh, and, and so hopefully you've been part of our conversation here and uh, just uh, had the opportunity to take some of these topics, some of these ideas, and discuss them at home. Uh, I want to clue you in, in case you're not aware, if you're visiting us or if you're new to our community, uh, that every, given, every Sabbath we have two services, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11.15. And uh, this month we've been discussing money at both of them, but we've had different, um, slightly different topics at every one. So if you feel like following in or, or, or maybe digging up some stuff, you can go on our website and, uh, or our Facebook page will lead you to our website. And on our website, we have uh, all the sermons, so you can kind of listen there and catch up to some of the topics in case you're coming in mid-series and you want to um, find out some of the, that stuff. So um, I'm excited because today we get to sort of uh, close our conversation for the moment. Money is the topic that just kind of continues, Right? It's involved in every facet of your life, in a sense, money, the ability to make money. But we're going to close our conversation today with living debt-free. Living debt-free. First things first, let's talk a little bit about where we've been, because I realize, like I said, some of you haven't been here the whole time. There's a few lessons that we've learned. One, at the very beginning, we've learned that money is something that the world tries to use to define you. The world tries to use how much money you have, uh, what your income level is, your tax bracket is, to try to define who you are. It tries to ascribe certain qualities to you based on your economic level, your socioeconomic level, your standing, your bracket. But God has trying to teach us, has been trying to teach us that money is not what defines us. What defines us is that you and I are sons and daughters of the God of the universe. And that he is the one who gives us value. And the way he tries to teach us that in the Bible is by first telling us that everything belongs to God. Amen? Everything belongs to God. The Bible says the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. The Bible says the heaven and earth and everything in between belongs to God. He created. He made it all. We learned in our conversation here that even your ability to produce wealth or to gain wealth for yourself belongs to God. You remember that? Deuteronomy chapter 8. God says, you may say to yourself, look at me, 
but it is I who gives strength to your hands to make money. Everything belongs to God. God says, and if we're going to have an honest conversation about wealth, money, just have to know that. Number one, everything comes from God. He is the source. He is the originator of everything. Number two, God wants to bless you. We learned that in our conversation about tithes, you recall, about tithes and offerings and the way that system compares to the taxing system in our, in, our, in our country. God says that he wants to bless you. In fact, we learned in Malachi that God wants to open up the storehouses of heaven and bless you by raining down blessings so that there's not enough room for you to receive it. And the way he designed, the system he designed to bless you is to teach you to trust him first. In a very practical way, God created the system of tithes and offerings for us to trust God first, and then he would in turn bless us tremendously. Everything belongs to God, and he wants to bless you with it. And the way you achieve or you receive God's blessing is to trust his counsel, to trust his counsel. Last week, we learned that money affects people differently because we have lost sight of the way God values us. The counsel that God has given us, specifically in terms of uh, what our culture defines us, is that God has given us this counsel that us men, God created us to have purpose. Purpose. And, and women, God created you to have value. But the world wants to use money to take both of those things away. So God, I mean, the, the world tells men that they don't have purpose and that they need to fill their time with diversions. That's why we men spend all our money on diversions. Electronics we talked about last week, sports, chasing things and toys to take our mind off, entertainment mostly. And the vast majority of women in our culture spend the bulk of their money on their appearance. Not because they're vain. No, it's not that. But because society has told you that you are not worth much unless you look like you're worth much. So while the world has been trying to undermine God's instructions for us, those are the messages that it has has passed on to us, that men need to find diversion and that women need to increase their value. But both of those are lies. Both of those are lies because God created us, man. He created us with purpose. In the very Garden of Eden, you'll recall, God said to Adam, here you are, and I'm putting everything in your charge. You're going to go out there and you're going to rule the earth. You're going to have dominion over it. You're going to have dominion of it. And he said to them both in the garden, I'm making you in my image. And ever since then, God has been trying to reinforce the idea that value, our purpose and our value come directly from God. But our culture has been trying to undermine that in its context with money. So we've learned that. Everything belongs to God. He wants to bless you with it. The way he blesses you is by asking you to trust him. And your true worth, your true net worth comes directly from God. Amen? So, If you know these things, which I've just told you over the last few weeks, why is it that you and I are still in financial problems? I have not told you anything. You've heard these things before. You know that God, everything belongs to God. You know that he wants to bless you. You know about the system of tithes and offerings. And and, and you know that God has given you your net worth. God loves you. We've been saying that. God loves you. But why is it that if you know all of these things, you and I still have trouble with money? You don't believe me? All right, let's see. I got some figures here. All right, we talked about these this morning. Uh, uh, <clears throat> statistics say the newest information that we have uh, pertaining to the year that just passed, 2012. Statistics say that the average American household, 
has in credit card debt $7,093 in credit card debt. That's revolving credit card debt. $7,000. Does that seem like a lot to you? Or does that seem like average? Statistics say that the average American household, that would include all of you, that says all of you have at least $7,000 worth of revolving debt. Now, I'm not talking about car loans or, or mortgages. I'm talking about good old Visa, everywhere you want to be. Good old MasterCard, priceless. $7,000. That's actually a low number because that averages all American households. Statistics say that there are probably somewhere around half of American households that don't have any credit card debt. That might be you, and if it is, praise God for that. In fact, statistics say that of those households that do credit, carry credit card debt, the average is $15,000 worth of credit card debt. So do a quick self-examination. Don't nod. I know you're scared. Don't want anybody else to know. But do a quick self-examination. Put all your credit card bills end-to-end. How much would they add up to? How much would they add up to? Statistics say that if you're carrying, the average household is 15000 You know what that means? That means that if you're carrying only two, $300, someone's carrying double. Right? That's a lot of money, don't you think? $15,000? That's a lot of money. If you don't believe me, <clears throat> you just Google it. You'll see for yourself. Statistics say... That we Americans, in total, American consumers owe, in terms of um, credit card debt, $848 billion. $848 billion. Because this is how you're thinking. You're like me. You're saying, yeah, Pastor, I heard all this stuff, but I'm not really in financial trouble. Maybe you're not, but the person sitting next to you might be in for deep. I'm not really in financial trouble, Pastor Milton. But statistics say $848 billion. That's a lot of money. $848 billion. That's only credit card debt. Add to that $7.93 trillion in mortgages. If you're a homeowner, you know what a mortgage is. It's like the saddest letter you get in the mail every month. The most depressing correspondence you get in the mail. A Dear John letter can't compare to the mortgage statement. You know what I'm talking about. If your girlfriend says, hey, I found somebody else. See you later. You go, oh, that's so sad. But when the mortgage comes in, (laughs) for two reasons. Number one, it's usually one of the largest chunks. If you're a homeowner, one of the largest chunks. Here's what's funny about our our, our culture. Uh, Back in the day, you would only be given a loan if you could prove that you could make, that, that the mortgage payment you were going to pay was only about 28% of your overall income in the month. 28, at the most, 30, 32%. That means when you went in to try to apply for a home loan, you showed them your W-2s and your, and your checks, they would add it up and they would calculate and they would say, listen, based on your income level, you can only make this kind of monthly payment, which qualifies you only for this size house. But you remember what happened between the years of 2004 and 2008? People came in and said, I don't have any money. And they said, sweet, we'll give you a subprime loan. We'll give you a five-in-one, an arm. This is great. It's fantastic. You don't have any money? No problem. So the government has finally started to crack down on banks and other organizations who have been lending people who have no business borrowing money, but the banks were lending anyway. Was that one of you? Was that you? 
When the going was good, man, the government was just handing out cash, right? Sign here, sign there. I know. I was in the boat with you. And then suddenly the economy popped, and then, and then what? Money dried up. $7.93 trillion in mortgages. <whistles> Add to that uh, $1 trillion in student loans. $1 trillion. In, yeah, that's where some of you guys are like, you got me, Pastor Milton. La Sierra University. Man, it's so expensive over there. Imagine, right, going to La Sierra or Loma Linda, then going to uh, graduate school at Loma Linda Public Health Department, then going to the medical school after that. So you can imagine my pain. You guys didn't get that. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> educational loans. Now, educational loans are considered an investment. True? Amen. And I believe that uh, it's an investment that's worthwhile making. But the problem is that it just adds to our debt burden. So here's what I'm trying to say, family. I'm trying to say, you know that God owns everything. You know that God wants to bless you. You know that God has asked you to trust him. You know that your true net worth is in God. But why are we still in financial problems? Well, one of the biggest hurdles is debt. Debt. How did we get into this mess to begin with? What happened? How did you and I fall prey to this credit card debt? I was talking to the teenagers. I told them, this is how it happens. It starts out small. You remember. I remember my first credit card. Uh, I remember it came in the mail, and I was like, what's this? Uh, I, I was in college. I was down at the cafeteria somewhere, and there was like a booth, and I'm handing out T-shirts. I don't know. I just signed my name. I didn't have a dime to my name. But they're like, sign here, you get a free T-shirt. I was like, free T-shirt, bet. And then it came in the mail. It said Gottschalks. It was a little gray thing. I was like, what's, what's Gottschalks? I never heard of it. Do you guys know what it is? It's a department store. It's now defunct, of course. I was like, ooh, look at me. Look what I got. It's a credit card. Well, after you get one, then the doors, the pearly gates open. The pearly gates of credit card heaven open up. You have what's called credit history. And then you begin to receive more and more. And, and as you go in your college years, but do you know that most credit card companies nowadays are not, are not starting at the college level? You know who they're targeting? High school kids. High school kids. Yeah. You don't believe me? Go down to the local store at the mall that markets to high school kids. Places like San Diego, H&M, all the little fashion places. Hot Topic. I don't even know what about Hot Topic. You go in there, the kids will go to the front, and they get ready to pay, and they'll tell them, would you like to save 10% today? You've heard that one? Would you like to save 10% today? Oh, how would I do that? Just sign right here. Oh, I don't know if I have it. Does not matter? Just sign right here. What will that do? It'll make this bill magically disappear. Slowly but surely, those of us that know better, we fall and pray. You can buy 10% off today and when you come back tomorrow, any day. In fact, friends and family, the, the pitches are endless. You can, with this credit card buying power, save money, they say. Don't you want to save? And I usually tell them, no, I'm good. They're like, then they calculate it. You know, that would be X amount of dollars. You could be saving a lot of money today, right? And so they're targeting, the messages are being targeted to high school age kids. And you know what they do? They get you to give them a credit card. I know you're squirming in your seat if you've already done it. You're giving your kid a credit card or a debit card. I was explaining to the kids that debit cards aren't magic either. 
Money's got to come from someplace. Swipe, swipe, swipe. How do we get in this place? One, we felt trap. We fell in the trap of the credit card, the revolving credit promise. The idea that with credit, it's the same as cash. Enjoy now and pay later. Enjoy now and pay later. We have fallen victims to the lie that you and I are entitled to whatever we want right now. We have fallen under the spell of our culture's materialism. It's true. Look in your closets. Uh, my wife and I, we enjoy sometimes watching the Home Garden Channel or whatever. They have all these shows where people go house hunting. You ever seen those? Uh, house, it's called house, house Hunters, right? House Hunters, House Hunters International and whatnot. They're, they're fun. It's fantastic. Like you get to see other places. But usually it's American families who are traveling uh, overseas somewhere, you know. And uh, if you've ever been overseas, people live in much smaller places than you and I live in. And I always enjoy it because they walk in and go, oh, this is a bathroom, this is a master bedroom. And then the Americans are like, yeah, yeah, and, and where's the closet? And they're like, slide. And they're like, oh, no. Oh, no. This will not do. This will not do. Because this kind of closet is not good enough for you and me. We like this kind of closet. Right? The one selling point when you went shopping for a house was, look, it's a walk-in closet. Don't pretend, I know you, you're just like me. When you walked in, you go, whoa, this is like a room in here. Somebody could sleep in here. And the first day you walked in when the house was empty, it was like, whoa, there's so much room. But now, you're like, oh, close, that, close the door. Put the stuff back, push the stuff in there, close the door, because it's full of your stuff. How did you get so much stuff? Because you and I subtly and slowly but surely have fallen under the spell of materialism, that we are entitled, that we deserve, that we should have more stuff. I work hard. I deserve to play hard. I deserve to enjoy. And don't get me wrong. I like to go and and get some stuff. It's fun. I understand it. And I know how swiping makes it all just magically disappear. But statistics say that we're carrying every single household an average $7,000 worth of credit card debt. That means we've bought $7,000 worth of stuff and have mortgaged the future of our earning potential because we're already enjoying it. Like we traveled to the future, got money from the future to pay for the present. Made it easier but unfortunately, it has put us in a predicament that the Bible calls slavery. The book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 7 says that the person who borrows becomes a slave to the lender. The borrower becomes the servant of the lender. Now, you may not think of yourself in this way, but in a lot of ways, it's true, right? We're constantly working to pay off the bills. Pay off the bills. We're under constant pressure to generate more money in order to pay off the bills. I know people who, uh, who work double, triple, extra shifts all the time. To, uh, why? Because they got a big house. Problem is they're never home to enjoy it because they're always working to pay off the bills. 
This has been our situation. Even though we know the things that we've talked about, this has become one of the biggest hurdles. Debt. Debt. How do we get into this place? Sometimes, as we talked about last week, we married somebody who was a spender. It's just our fortune, and then they're out there flinging credit card away, and, and then you become the hoarder. Sometimes we, 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 we married somebody who, didn't, who was the avoider. Remember this from last week? We were partnered up with someone who's the avoider, and they don't want to hear no business about budgeting, and they just let me be. And so we are kind of spiraled into this high debt. We've avoided saving. We've avoided the concept of saving. Financial analysts say, you've got to save. You should, they use the expression, you should pay yourself first. Ever heard that one? You've got to check. Pay yourself first. Put it in the savings. But that's not the way we, most of us operate. We save only if it's anything left over. Pay the bills. Pay our obligations. And then if there's anything up, maybe we'll stash it away. But what we know, we've talked about this before, is that expenses rise to meet the level of income. Whatever you make, you will find a way to spend that. That's why in our culture, even the wealthy go broke, right? I was reading yesterday, and I don't know if you're in football fans in there, but the NFL draft, uh, the NFL draft uh, is like the big day when all these college kids are now being uh, essentially hired by uh, the sports organizations that will become millionaires in short order. But I was reading, one of the statistics said, uh, Joe Gibbs, one of the courtships says, that um, by the time they're removed from the draft day, uh, by the time they're done with their playing career, over 80% of those guys will declare for back bankruptcy. How do millionaires go bankrupt and go bankrupt so quickly? Some of these reasons. Making bad investments, uh, thinking that you have to get into debt to make more money, to use the system of, 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 of credit to try to generate investments and make more money and make bad decisions. Overspending, believing that they're entitled to have big things, not saving, not preparing. That's the situation. That's just where we are. So let's have an open and honest conversation. I don't know where you are in terms of your credit card debt. Maybe you've got that down. Fantastic. But chances are you're carrying auto loans. Uh-oh. Mortgage loans. Student loans, and then the worst of all, payday loans. Payday loans? You know what I'm talking about, right? When you go and they say, hey, you don't even have to have unsecured loans. You don't even have to have a job. Just come in. Do you own a car? No problem. You've seen those, right? Do you own a car? Sweet. Come sign the line. We'll give you cash, cold hard cash for when you need it most. It's your money, they say. It's your money. How did we get here? Well, the road may have been different for you, but as a nation, we've gotten here in a very simple way, believing that we're entitled to more, spending more than we make. Do you know what the national debt is? Anybody? Um, I'm going to try this. Let's see if it works. Can you pop that up? Am I on there? Anyone? Ooh, okay, good. This is the uh, USA debt clock. I want you to look at that top line. I'm going to make it a little bigger. That's the national debt right there, that top number. You see that? That's the dot, that's the dot right there. You see it? The, the number below that is what 
uh, per capita what every American is responsible for, 53,000 so far. But the national debt clock just keeps going. Uh, when I go get fill, fill up gas, this is what it feels like. You know what I'm talking about. You're, you're putting it in there and you're like, what? what? Make it stop. You know, like I have a big car and it's like, oh, man, this is what I feel. Well, make it stop. Here. Magic. Oh, wait. What happened? You can't make it stop. It just keeps going. It just keeps going. Okay, can you take over that? Because then we're, they're going to freak out. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I better turn that off because it's bad. Thank you. That's better. The national debt clock. 17, 17. Yeah, that's the one I want to avoid. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's part of the debt right there. That's part of the problem. Okay, it's close to $17 trillion. And the reason the debt clock keeps going up and up and up is because your, your country is essentially only making interest payments on that. It's not lowering the principal that's owed. We're just paying off interest. We're just paying off interest. One of the things we talked about this morning is about the minimum payment trap. Let me explain that really quick. If you pay only the minimum payment on your credit card bill, it will take you. If you owe just 1000 bucks, it will take you, uh, what do I have, seven years to pay it off. Seven years to pay it off. If you owe $3,000 and you pay only the minimum payment, it will take you 22 years to pay it off. 22 years. Because the minimum payment trap is designed so that you will pay only a such percentage, but, the, but the, the compounding interest will just get bigger and bigger and bigger. This is what the nation is doing because it's a reflection of what you and I are doing. This is our problem. It's a big problem. How do we get out of it? I'm going to give you the solution today. You ready? Not me. Actually, the Bible will. Open your Bibles, please. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're in New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We've got a problem. We're being honest, all right? 1 Timothy chapter 6. In the book of 1 Timothy, we find some counsel in relationship to money. And we're going to get on it right now. And I'm going to give you the Bible's secret for getting out of debt. The Bible's secret for getting out of debt. In fact, the Bible's secret for being financially healthy, financially wealthy. You ready for it? You got your pens out? No, I know you don't. <laughs> okay, good. You got, got one. Okay, right here. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Here we go. One, but godliness with contentment is great gain. There it was. Let's close up shop. There's your answer. Write this down contentment the bible says let's keep reading <clears throat> for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it oh oh we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing if we have food and clothing we'll be sh- we will be content with that people who want to get rich fall into the temptation and the trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into ruin and destruction for the love of money is root of all kinds of evil I didn't hear any amens after that one. Mm. This is where that verse comes from. The love of money. The love of money is is the root of all kinds of evil. That we know. We've experienced that. We know how when we're in debt, it drives us to think and to do and act in ways that are contrary to our conscience because we just got to make our way. But what the Bible says is that the opposite of the love of money is... Anyone? Contentment. Not a very sexy word, I know. In fact, society and the the place that you and I live wants to avoid that word at all costs. 
Because that word, contentment, goes against everything in the current of the culture that you live in. There is nothing that you're going to see on TV, in newsprints, or anywhere that says you should be content with what you have. Everything that you're going to run into as you're driving home today on the freeway, as you're looking through your inbox, everything that, that you're going to run across that the world's message is trying to tell you is that you shouldn't be content with what you have. That there's always, but wait, there's more. There's always more. But the Bible says contentment. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. This is uh, uh, Paul talking to Timothy, and he says, But you, men of God, run away from all this and pursue instead righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life for which you were called uh, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who testifies before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without spot and blame until Jesus Christ appears, which God will bring about in his own time. I know. Keep reading. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in approachable light, no one has ever seen. To him be glory and honor. Verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Uh oh. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth. Last week we talked about how, obviously, comparing to the rest of the world, we live in a very prosperous nation, a very prosperous country. But even right amongst our own community, you and I, those of you that are sitting here, are, by comparison, doing fairly well financially. I know a lot of it's based on debt. But you have clothes and you have food and you probably have transportation. You have resources. You have stuff in your pantries and extra clothes in your closet. We probably, if we were honest, we have much more than we actually need. We would be considered rich. And the Bible says here, those who are rich, don't be arrogant or put your hope in wealth in this world. But instead, put your hope in God. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, you will lay up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So here's God's answer to our debt problem. Number one, contentment. Recognize what you already have. You already have. Dave Ramsey, who runs a financial peace university, he says the secrets to getting out of debt are simple. Number one, quit borrowing money. <laughs> okay. He says, quit borrowing money. Plan for emergencies. Stop borrowing money. Number two, he says, prayer actually works. You got a need? You actually have an actual need? Ask God. He will find a way for you. Number three, sell your stuff. You probably have things that you don't use. Sell it. Use that money to create your emergency fund. And number four, if you got yourself into this mess, you're going to have to work a little harder to get out. A lot of people want to get out of debt, but they don't want to work a little extra harder. They want to tighten the belt. Oh, I have all this money problems, but I keep spending at the same rate. He says, take a part-time job. But what the Bible says, number one, generosity is the answer to combat the love of money. So here's the clues right there. I'm going to tell you. He says, <sighs> number one, be generous. Be generous. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous. 
Do you know that God gave us the system of tithes and offerings to teach us generosity? The 10%, as we talked about, was God's command. But the offering is up to you because God wants to challenge you to be generous. So a lot of us come to the offering plate and we, we don't want to give it up. But God says, when you learn to let go, you can receive, right? You know that one. You know that one. So he says, the secret to financial prosperity is to learn to be generous. It's counterintuitive. As we are been told by society, the secret to financial wealth is to just keep as much as you can. But God says, I own everything. I want to give you more. And the way I give you more is when you're generous with what I've given you. Be generous and be willing to share. One of the hardest things to teach our kids, right? Share. No, I don't want to. Mine. Mine. First words that come out of mine. I don't want to. Be willing to share. Even though you are an adult, are you still living under that same mentality? What's mine is mine. God says, generosity. Be willing to share. But the most important thing is realizing what we already have. In order to live debt-free, you have to understand that you already are debt-free. You have to understand that your biggest debt has already been paid. Do you know that? Your biggest debt has already been paid. The book of Mark chapter 10 says that Jesus came down not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The most amazing thing about God is that he has already written canceled on the largest debt. Do you know that the Bible teaches us? That the one thing that you and I did that was so terribly wrong is that we did not trust God in the very first place. The book of God in the book of Genesis says God wanted to provide everything for us. The tree of life was there in the middle of the garden. So was everything under God's provision presented for all we had to do was trust Him. But instead we chose, we chose something other. We chose to chase other things. We chose to put our trust in what we could do, what the strength of our hands could do. And the Bible says, the result of that has been death. For all have sinned, and the wages of sin are death. That was what really what we owe. But God sent His Son as a ransom for our debts. He sent His Son, and through His blood, we have written canceled on the biggest debt. The thing that you and I have to understand is that we can begin to live debt-free right now. It doesn't matter how much credit card debt you have. God will give you a way to get past that. It doesn't matter what your mortgage is. God will give you a way to get past that if you understand that He has already paid for your life in the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. He wants you to know that you have been paid for with a price. And when you understand that, you'll begin to see that your true worth comes from God, not from what you own, not for how much money you have. Your true worth, your net worth, who you really are, that comes from God. And that God wants to bless you. That God wants to take care of you, wants to provide for you. He already has, but He wants to give you even more. You've got to learn to trust Him. You've got to learn to accept what He's already given you. You've got to believe that He's already paid for you. That you can begin to live debt-free. Free from the debt of having to prove your worth. Free from the debt of having to compare yourself to other people. Free from uh, that debt of being devalued by those around you. Feeling like you don't have purpose because God is the one who calls you and who finds you beautiful.
and who purpose, purposes you for something amazing. You can begin to live debt-free right here, right now, this day. All you got to do is trust Him. Accept what He's given you and throw yourself at His feet. And my God will bless you. My God wants to bless you.